0: Our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 34. Now, Paul's drawing near to the end of this letter. This chapter is a wonderful reminder of what the gospel achieves. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ is indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn... Christ the first fruits then when he comes those who belong to him then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to god the father after he has destroyed all dominion authority and power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death for he has put everything under his feet now when it says that everything has put under him it's clear that this does not include god himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son Himself would be made subject to Him who put everything under Him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If they're dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord? If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought, and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame.
1: thanks Wayne. Good morning everyone. Good morning. My name's Tim, it's lovely to be back with you. Um, let's start this morning by turning to the person next to you. Have a quick chat about what's, the, what's some of the common ways people maybe in your workplace or at a sporting club, friends you have, um, they're not Christians but how they sort of picture the nature of the afterlife. So what sort of images, ideas do they come up with? Have a quick yak to the person next to you. Uh, Sorry, lights. It but have a little bit more stage light. I can't actually see. That's good. Thanks, gang. All right, what were some of the ideas and images that you have? Yelling back to me. Nothing. Nothing. So nothingness in the afterlife, yep. Party Party time. Living in the present. Living in the present in the afterlife. Interesting. Living in the present, in the afterlife. In the prison, now. Oh, now, so it's just now. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. When you're dead, when you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> yeah. No hell. No hell. Going to Gone to a better place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I hear very similar things amongst my friends as well. And would you agree? It's kind of most people talk about the afterlife as a, a vague, fuzzy kind of idea. Um, you're not really sure if there is something that follows after life, it's vague and fuzzy. But um, even the, fa- the fact that it's fuzzy and vague makes people go, we need to make the most of this life. And maybe there's something in the word afterlife, just the way we sort of say that and conceive that, it's life is now and then something after it. But the emphasis is that life is Now. You've got to make the most of life now before you die. I think Christians, too, can have some fuzzy ideas and vague ideas about the afterlife, Um, and so much so that because it's vague for us, we might put all our energy into this life and bank on making the most of this life. One seasoned Christian lady said to me recently, um, oh, I'm not too sure about this non-stop singing in heaven. And I think that kind of shows that maybe, maybe she's thinking, well, whatever comes after is kind of less than real life and maybe sort of unreal and not the real deal. And whatever comes after is more impoverished to what we have right now, life. Now, the Corinthians, they too, as Christians, had some fuzzy ideas about the afterlife And Paul corrects them by focusing squarely in on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And as he focuses in there, he says that's actually where you can get clarity on what comes after death. And it opens up for us what to expect, and it opens up our imagination so that we can start picturing what is going to happen after life. And that is that, after life, the emphasis is, after death, there is life. So we're going to have a look through 1 Corinthians 15 together and see that with the resurrection, we can imagine, or maybe for some of us, reimagine what comes next. And that is, after death, back to life. And back to life that is good. Back to the good life and on to life to the full. And if we get this picture, it actually gives us back meaning for this very short part of life before we go on to resurrection life. So have your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, And first up, we see that as Paul draws to a close on his letter, he starts to really impress What is important that he wants them to be reminded of. In verse 1, you see that he says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, and he wants to remind us of exactly what happened with the gospel message, what happened with Jesus, which is the gospel message. And he says in verse 3 onwards, For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and a whole lot of other people. Um, More than Paul just emphasising that there are some people that saw Jesus and, in fact, some are still alive, I don't think he's really saying, quick, while you've got the opportunity before they cark it, try and track them down and that will verify for you. He's emphasising that they saw... The man, Jesus Christ, who had been dead, who died, who was in a grave for three days, rose again and was seen. The dead man who is now alive has been seen. That is in the gospel message. That when you see the Lord Jesus Christ, what is proclaimed is a human being is the human being called the Messiah, the Christ, now stands on the other side of the grave. He has come through death, stands alive, back to life. That is what is proclaimed in the gospel message of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. The emphasis is not on the afterlife, but that after death, in the man Jesus Christ, he is alive, he is back to life. And that's the first part of our picture of what the resurrection means. It starts to open up for us that as we imagine the resurrection, for those who are in Christ, the picture that the Lord Jesus gives us is it is coming back to life on the other side of death. Anyone who hears this, it should grab their attention, because most of us live our life fearful of our coming death. Um, It's a reality that shadows all of humanity, um, and so much so that in, in those moments when we stop and think about it, it really does start to drain all the meaning out of life, that whatever we're doing now comes to a full stop and is ended by the grief of death. Lots of people have philosophised about this and even rhapsodised about it. I was listening to some music across the week and I just started to pick up with particular songs how many songs will talk about the meaninglessness of life because of the reality of death. So, Bohemian Rhapsody, we know this song, most of us will know that. Um, Freddie Mercury... Um, when you zoom in on the lyrics, he, he is actually saying, well, what is the real life? Um, he's feeling like he's a silhouette of a man. Um, and towards the end of the song, he starts saying, nothing really matters. Um, it's a, it's a, a very complex song. I don't think we actually pick up the sort of intense wrestling that's going on for him, because we've, we've, been, we've been indoctrinated by Wayne's World. So if you know that movie, Wayne's World, they kind of they spoof off the song and say so it's all funny. But if you listen to the lyrics, it is the wrestle of life against the reality of death. And when you have death coming down the line, it leaves everything meaningless. And so Freddie Mercury says, um, nothing really matters. Nothing really matters to me. Anyone can see nothing really matters to me. <laughs> Does that high bit. In fact, uh, if, if you're into the music of it, uh, the, the chord that he uses just before that high note is um, the darkest chord that you can get in music. It's E flat minor. That's all the black notes, okay? And not black because they're dark, but it's actually the darkest sound. Lots of composers, um, especially in the classical era, use that to to really have that deathly kind of sound. So he's, he's a brilliant composer in that. If you know the song too, there's no chorus in it. And usually with songs, you've got the chorus, which is home base. So in a song, you travel out and then you come back to home base and you feel secure. That's why we love the chorus, when we sing the chorus. But there's no chorus in this song. This is a really searching song. And the lyrics marry up with where the music's going. Um, and you may even recognise some of the words um, riffing off another philosopher in the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. In fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, there's a a guy called the teacher and he says very similar things, very, very similar things. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Um, But like I said, heaps of songs have it. I I was even listening to Pink. She's more modern. Um, Her Million Dreams song is looking at a broken world Starting to dream of a world that could be better, but then recognizes everyone think, would think you're crazy to dream like that because all there is is a dark door coming down the line. There's even been Greek philosophers, which Paul quotes, the Epicureans, that's that quote towards the end of our reading in verse 32 let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Because if death is all there is next, what's left? Parting, just make the most of this life while you've got it, enjoy it, have some pleasure and hopefully that will dull the pain. But with the resurrection of Jesus, you see that on the other side of death, God brings back to life, back to life, after death there is life. And that leads on to reimagining for us that not, just do, not only does God bring people back to life, um, in the Lord Jesus, he brings people back to the good life that he originally intended and on to life to the full. Now, Paul explains this from verse 12 onwards. Um, he shows that... As you you look at the resurrection of Jesus, this shows us what we can expect and what we need to start imagining when it comes to our resurrection. Um, God is restoring back to the good that existed for humanity and creation before death interrupted it. Have a look at verse 21 and 22. There's a recognition that death has interrupted the program God had Verse 21, For since since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. With Christ's resurrection, the death that has flowed from Adam onwards, which interrupted God's good creation and his plan for humanity has been reversed. Paul will start to really press this home by unpacking uh, a bit of a a fuzzy and bizarre idea that the Corinthian Christians seem to have about the afterlife. Um, And he works back through their logic that they've got, so they believe in something fuzzy. He works back from that logic um, to show them that if that's true, then... uh, they've totally missed, if that's what they think, sorry, if that's what they think, they've totally missed what Jesus' resurrection from the dead is all about. So in verse 12, we start to get a a little bit of a picture of um, what they might be thinking. So he says, Paul, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? So, we're picking up that, 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 that on the one hand, they do preach that Jesus has risen from the dead, and you might remember back in verse one and two, Paul seems to hold that well they do believe that collectively that Jesus rose from the dead, but they have some other idea going on when it comes to thinking maybe about their own future resurrection, so they they preach and proclaim Jesus rose from the dead but also preach something about there's no resurrection from the dead, maybe to do um, with what they think about uh, the, re- the rest of the people. Um, and we, look, we get a, a few ideas of what they might be thinking, some hints from other things that Paul says. So have a look at verse 35. Um, verse 35, which we just stopped before, but Paul will go on and we'll look at this more next week. But Paul raises some questions that they might be thinking in their head. Um, and answers them, and he's going to go on to answer them. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So just hearing those questions suggests that maybe they're thinking, well, maybe the body doesn't actually rise, or they've got an aversion to that, or, and that's what, what they're wondering about. Well, if you say that there is a res- resurrection of the body, how, how's that going to work? So working back, does that suggest that maybe in their thinking about the future resurrection, they hold something about the body not really being raised from the dead? Another potential clue is verse 19. Um, Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, that we then we of all people most be pitied. So maybe there, maybe they've got some view that the resurrection is only... Uh, a reinvigoration of their current life before they die, kind of, you know, we have been watching the Corinthians have, uh, they've really enjoyed their spiritual gifts and they've been amped up by it. So maybe they just say, well, you're still going to die, but the resurrection is just having an amped up life before you die and that's the blessing that uh, God gives us. At any rate, it's kind of fuzzy what they're believing and Paul wants to say, well, if that's what you hold, then you've missed looking at the very resurrection of Jesus, and so he works back from their logic to show the implications. Let's have a look at it. Verse 16 and 17. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." He's working back from their position and looking at the implications of their logic. I thought I'd just put it up on our screen with a a few extra words just to flesh out the premises so you can see what he's saying. So verse 16, he's saying, If you hold that there's no expectation of being bodily raised from the dead, then you have to hold that Jesus did not get raised bodily from the dead. And then verse 17, if Jesus did not get bodily raised from the dead, this means, therefore, you are still in your sins. The logic of all this turns for Paul on the fact that there is death in our world is because of sin. The fact that people die in the first place is because of sin. He's already alluded to the first chapters of the Bible in talking about Adam. But there, that's where we see that death came into the world as people rebelled, that's the, that's the nature of sin, to rebel against God. They rebelled against God's command on how to live. And God promised that on that day, you will die. And the Bible keeps talking about, this is why death exists in our world, It's because of sin. Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages, so that's the penalty, the punishment of sin is death. And then Hebrews 9, 27, people are destined to die once, and then after that face punishment. Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead, if he has been raised from the dead, that means God has removed death. And if death has been removed, that means sin has been paid for. And if sin has been paid for, that means the consequences of death will not hold down those people who are in Christ So Paul has worked back through their logic to say the very fact that Jesus rose from the dead shows that God has removed death because sin has been paid for. In Jesus Christ, we are coming back to the good life that God designed for humanity, that they would live. And more than that, it is life to the full, um, as Paul goes on to talk about Jesus Christ has indeed been raised, verse 20, he says at verse 24, uh, verse 23, that Christ has been raised, and then afterwards, with the image of the first fruits being Jesus, uh, then the others who belong to him will be raised. In verse 24, he says, "'Then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom of God the Father,' after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under his feet, it's clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. There Paul... Is saying not only has Jesus been raised and brought the possibility for humanity to go back to the good life, Jesus has actually brought about the full intentions that God had for humanity from the beginning. Often when the word end is used in verse twenty three or twenty four, then the end will come, often when the word end is used in the Bible, that has more of the idea of the goal has been reached. It's been fulfilled. Um, in Jesus, as Jesus said himself in John 10.10, I bring life and life to the full. So more than just cease, the idea of ceasing with end, end means goal. Jesus brings about the end goal for humanity, which if you know the starting story of Genesis, God created humans to rule in his image across the world, to multiply To rule and subdue the very words um, that are describing Jesus here. He has all dominion, all authority and power. As Paul does this, he even quotes from a psalm. Psalm 8, you may know that. Um, Psalm 8 is a psalmist reflecting on on the role that God had given humanity. Um, In its ideal sense, it's an awesome privilege and it knocks this psalmist's socks off. Can you see that the implications of Jesus being raised from the dead means that God has brought a human, the one destined to defeat death in the Bible, the Messiah, has brought that human, the Messiah, back to life, back to the good life and onto the fullest life, that God had planned for his humanity and creation. Now, that should totally reimagine our view of the afterlife and our resurrection to come. Back to the good life and life to the full. So, imagine with me that means no more cancer cells, no more. I heard an amen. That's awesome. No more chemo. No more blood tests. Start imagining no more back pain. No more knee replacements or wheelchairs. No more depleted serotonin. No more amygdalas that freak us out. No more autoimmune disease that for some reason, turn on us and self-sabotage. No more of that. No more hurricanes, no more floods, no more cyclones, tornadoes, no more bushfires, no more stupid decisions that result in car accidents. No more diving accidents. No more pollution, no more graffiti No more yelling, screaming, striking, no more murdering, no more stealing, no more abusing of one another, no more separation and absence and the tears, no more of that. And we can think of the opposite of that as we imagine. Means that when we are resurrected. With Christ in the renewed creation, we will stand tall. We'll walk and run, dance and spin. All of our words will be good to other people and build them up. Are you imagining it? Are you reimagining it? And more than just back to the good life, even better than all those good things. You see, all that I've mentioned there show us that we, we get glimpses of what is good, don't we? But it keeps getting taken away from us and it keeps dissolving before our eyes. That song from Pink that I mentioned before, she's got this line that as she imagines and has a, a million dreams, she, she says, it, What I dream of feels like home feels like home where you're safe. So I like that line because it's, it touches into, well, I resonate with it, that what we're going to have in the renewed creation are all the good things that we know that feel like home. But as Pink says in this song, it's, it's got a million more colours. And so as we imagine, the renewed world with all of its goodness It's going to be bigger and brighter and better. One of the words that the Bible uses is it's glorified. We're going to hear more about that next week. We are going to be glorified. But in our imagination of being raised with Christ back to the good life and life to the full, that means that grass is going to be greener. The blue sky is going to be more blue. Love is going to permeate every single relationship. We're going to be able to sing and rest and hold both of those in a beautiful balance where one doesn't consume and wreck the other. We're going to walk with God. We're going to see the Lord Jesus face to face and fully know him as we are fully known. When I stop and think about that, that takes my breath away. That's our future in the resurrection. Does it take your breath away? Even imagining it gives me new breath as well. And it's that new breath knowing that's our hope, that also shows us uh, that we will receive back life even now. We get meaning to our short bit of life before our great resurrected life coming up. So let's have a look at this last one, which Paul brings out. In verse 29, he, uh, again, have you noticed through this passage, he kind of works backwards backwards? Uh, through logic things to make a positive point. Um, so again, he, he's working backwards showing that um, he has meaning even in this short life. Um, but he does that by pointing out two things that he says, if there is no resurrection, then these two things that I'm involved in prove that I've totally wasted my life. So verse 29, he says, Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people baptised for them? And the other thing that he goes on to say is that he risks his life. So they're the two things. He says, what's the point of this baptism for the dead if there is no resurrection? And what's the point of me risking my life um, for promoting the gospel if there is no resurrection? Now, verse 29 is a a little bit difficult. Um, There's 40 different interpretations of verse forty uh, verse twenty nine of uh, baptizing for the dead, so let me take you through each one one by one. no i won 't do that to you um, so there 's forty look, can I just offer for you kind of where I lean um, sometimes with these really tricky passages? you just have to be tentative about it, but um, it 's possible it 's possible that Paul is for the sake of making a point, picking up on some Practice that he had observed that the Corinthians were doing, where they were baptising on behalf of, like vicariously, on behalf of people who had already died. Maybe like a, a catch-up kind of baptism. It's possible that he might be doing that. Um, one of the difficulties I find with that is that it, it's it's very weird theologically and Paul, as we know, is someone who has been really sharp on correcting the Corinthians on any dodgy ideas because it, it leads them down funny tracks. Hence, he's correcting them on the resurrection here. Um, so, I, I tend to think that maybe, well, if, if he's just casually referencing this practice that they're doing, it opens up a Pandora's box um, and that that doesn't seem very like Paul. So maybe the simplest way through is to um, assume he's, he's kind of meaning something positive um, from it. Because both of these things are in parallel. He's saying, um, what's the point of baptising for the dead? Um, and what's the point of me risking my life um, if there is no resurrection? So it may, it may be that Paul is is using language that he has used elsewhere to describe the Christian life of once being dead, you get baptized, we do this ritual, baptism, once being, recognizing you're dead in your sins, and then through that baptismal ritual, we play out what we most believe, that we have died and we rise again. So I tend to think that he might be here in my tentative language, I tend to think that he might be, <laughs> um, using a, using, saying that, um, uh, what's the point of us baptising, essentially? Now, there's, there's grammatical things there that you can go into, and I'm happy to have a chat with it, but that's, that's, that's where I lean, that he's actually referring to baptism normally. What's the point of us baptising and those that are baptising for people? Um, but it is, a tricky, it is a tricky verse. The second thing that he says is, um, have I totally wasted risking my life every hour? Verse 30, um, why do we endanger ourselves every hour and face death every day if Christ has not been resurrected? He says, I have totally gained nothing. Uh, I would have been better off partying. If there is no resurrection, I would have been better off partying than risking my life you see you can you can waste your life on just eating and drinking and being merry or you can spend your life promoting the gospel and living for the hope of the resurrection and paul does proclaim the resurrection he proclaims jesus christ has raised been raised from the dead and he has a future. Anyone in Christ has a future with Paul beyond the grave. And that gives this short life meaning. That means that we live and serve the God who raises people from the dead. We can actually hold this short life lightly. Um, we don't have to panic and get everything out of this life, as though we'd be missing out. We can even give up things and spend our life for others so that they might hear the gospel, just like Paul does. He radically can hold this short life lightly because it has meaning beyond just the present. He wants to bring hope to others. We can imagine how we might spend our life. Are there ways that you can... Maybe it presses into us. Have we been holding on to this life too much? As we focus in, like Paul has focused the Corinthians in on Jesus' resurrection, it allows us to hold this brief life lightly and even spend it so that others might be there. Let me wrap up with a final reflection. Many Australians hold the life philosophy that there is nothing, as some of us mentioned, that there there is nothing, and so they, they do just try and make the most of this short life and squeeze out as much um, pleasure and satisfaction as they can. And if there is nothing, that totally makes sense. Um, and I think Paul picks up on that. He, he's going, okay, if, if there is nothing to to even play around calling yourself a Christian but not hold, into, hold on to the resurrection, then he says we are to be pitied more than everyone else. We've wasted this short life. It's a joke. And it may be that many people do look upon us and say, it's a joke to waste your life on Christianity. But if there is death and judgment before God after this life then it totally makes sense to trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. So here's the thing, maybe a lot of people can easily look upon us as Christians and and think we're a joke because we don't spend any time talking about sin and judgment with our friends and family. We're not even willing to risk the relationship we have. Um, And so Christianity doesn't make sense. Christianity only makes sense if there is judgment before God after death. And then what an offer. What an offer to have our sins forgiven and death removed and to participate in the good world, the goodness that we have many glimpses of, and enjoy that as life to the full. So let us this week think about how we're going um, with our life, like are we holding on to this too tightly and what does that show within us? Um, And let me inspire you with one little story from a a young adult from Church at Five, we're actually going to share his story fully tonight, but Jared Lembruggen, um, I heard this a couple of weeks ago and it inspires me, he as many would know, because he's grown up in our church, he's a, he's a really great soccer player here on the coast, um, has been going up through the ranks. And he's, I think, I think their team is heading for the finals, going for the finals, yep, that's right. Um, well, uh, to be selected for the final team, you have to turn up to the minimum two trainings during the week. But Jared has a friend who suddenly got interested in life and even coming along to the life course that we run here at the Lakes. And so Jared, even though uh, he's dreaming and keen to get into the grand final and go as far as he can with soccer, pulled back from one of those trainings, recognising that that would probably cost him selection in order to accompany his friend to life, to have that opportunity. Um, And I think he even had to pay a fine. So there you go. Um, Such an easy thing to do in in many ways, but sometimes it's not that easy because of our dreams and holding on to this life. But that has inspired me. I hope it inspires you. Um, And think about the next life course that we have coming up here at the Lakes. At the Lakes, we run the course every term. Um, So maybe start planning and praying today about someone that you can have a yak to and you'd like to extend the conversation, ask for God's grace and wisdom of how to do that, but to to talk, to become aware of death and what that means and on the other side of death so that the gospel of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead is actually good news and makes great sense. Let us pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you have conquered the last enemy death through the Lord Jesus Christ taking away sin. And now we can stand before you. You welcome us. We're safe and secure. We serve the God who raises the dead. And we look forward to our resurrection and all the goodness and the life to the full that is coming and we pray lord that in the meantime we will um, be willing to spend this life this short life to help bring this wonderful hope and this eternal future which is ours to others amen